This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name is Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is Episode 9, Follow the Rules, Seriously. Last week, I introduced you to the charitable deduction, one of the big basic concepts in charitable giving. Well, today, we're going to take that topic one step further. Today, we're going to talk a bit about what it takes to actually qualify for taking that deduction. And spoiler alert, just feeling philanthropic won't cut it. I want to tell you a story about two very generous philanthropists, a husband and wife team from Sacramento, California, named Joseph and Shirley Mohammed. At the time of our story, Mr. Mohammed was a very successful real estate investor, developer, and entrepreneur. As part of their overall estate and charitable planning, the Mohammeds decided to donate several pieces of extremely valuable real estate to a new, new charitable remainder trust in 2003 and 2004. If you're not quite sure what a charitable remainder trust is at right this second, don't worry. We'll get to that in a later episode. For now, just know that donations to a trust like these are typically entitled to one of those charitable deductions we talked about last episode. So the Mohammeds made their donations, and when they subsequently filed their personal tax returns, they included claims for some very substantial charitable deductions. This was where things got interesting. You see, to take a charitable deduction for a contribution of real estate, the IRS has a specific list of rules you have to follow. The most important item on that list is getting a qualified appraisal of the value of the real estate. It just so happened that Mr. Mohammed was a certified real estate appraiser himself, so he appraised the properties just like he would for any other client, he filled out the correct IRS form, Form 8523 if you're curious, and filed it with their tax return as required. As it happens, he appraised the properties at a total value of $18.5 million, and he actually made the appraisal a little conservative because he didn't want to risk overvaluing the property, causing the IRS to levy penalties or something. Let's call that ironic foreshadowing or something. A year or two later, the IRS did, in fact, decide to audit the Mohammeds' tax returns. The agency began by claiming that the Mohammeds had, in fact, overvalued their properties, and the IRS wanted to levy some of those penalties that Mr. Mohammed had specifically tried to avoid. However, then the IRS noticed something else. It noticed that Mr. Mohammed had not, in fact, complied with all of the rules for taking a charitable deduction for a donation of real estate. Most pertinent to the case was the requirement that the appraiser couldn't be the donor, no matter the donor's expertise or credentials for doing that type of work. The minute the IRS pointed this out, Mr. Mohammed rushed out and hired an independent agency to repeat the appraisals. And you know what? The new appraisals actually came in higher than the originals. The new appraisals valued the properties at almost $20.3 million, meaning that the Mohammeds actually should have been entitled to an even larger charitable deduction than they had originally claimed. But that wasn't how the IRS saw the situation. The IRS took the position that since the Mohammeds had not complied with the rules at the time they filed their taxes, they were simply not entitled to any deduction at all. As you might imagine, the Mohammeds vehemently disagreed, and the dispute ended up in court. But then, in 2012, the U.S. Tax Court formally endorsed the IRS position in the case, and the Mohammeds' charitable deduction was completely disallowed, and they got no tax benefit from their very substantial philanthropic generosity. Let me summarize the key points in this case. The Mohammeds made a huge philanthropic commitment that would have ultimately gone to a children's hospital, a local food bank, and a legal aid office. They filed their taxes in good faith, 
thinking they had followed all the rules. And to be honest, nobody, including the IRS, disputed the approximate value of the properties or the donor's charitable intent. The issue, and the only issue, was the technical requirements of how to report the charitable gift to the IRS. In this case, the Mohammeds didn't quite follow all the rules required in order to qualify for the charitable deduction. The IRS insisted that the rules were absolute requirements, and the courts agreed. This meant that the donors got no sort of deduction at all, despite their universally acknowledged philanthropic intent and action. Let me allow the court to explain the outcome itself. Quote, We recognize that this result is harsh, a complete denial of charitable deductions to a couple that did not overvalue and may well have undervalued their contributions. All reported on forms that even to the court's eyes seemed likely to mislead someone who didn't read the instructions. But the problems of misvalued property are so great that Congress was quite specific about what the charitably inclined have to do to defend their deductions, and we cannot, in a single sympathetic case, undermine those rules. End quote. Ouch. So what's the takeaway here? For purposes of the charitable deduction, the rules are the rules. Good intentions, and almost but not quite compliance with those rules, will not cut it. In order to qualify for and benefit from the charitable deduction, Donors need to make sure that they comply with all of the relevant reporting rules. And those rules can be a bit different for different types of gifts. Don't worry, we'll address each one of them over time. But more importantly, this is where charitable advisors, attorneys, development officers, accountants, can be really helpful. They know, or can look up, the rules to make sure donors get the greatest benefit from their charitable gifts. And they can help donors make sure they follow the rules and don't become the next heartbreaking decision in the tax court. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at thesavvyphilanthropist.podbean.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter where I'm at Ross Plan. And if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for Episode 9. Thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about two basic ways charities manage donated funds, depending on what the donor wants to accomplish. Until then, remember, do well, then do good, but always be savvy.